0: Life giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church, we're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. So uh, a few years ago, Kristen and I moved to California, and uh, we were taking on a new house that we were blessed to be able to purchase. And uh, we were kind of like getting situated, you know when you get into a new place, there's just like this big long list of things that you want and need to do. The challenge for me is I am not, um, what would be the right word, capable or able in any way to do any of the things that needed to be done to make the house a home. Like on the scale you know, of Handy, I'm like, I'm good at this, the thing I'm doing right now is kind of where my skills end. So. How are we going to get, you know, like the pictures hung without like eight extra holes in the wall? And how are we going to get different little projects? And you know what I'm talking about, the little stuff that has to happen to make a house a home. And I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? We were new. We didn't know people. And I found this app. And there's this app that you can use where people like handymen or people with these skills, you can hire them to come in and they can come like work in your house for a couple hours and they can do the stuff that you need done. The problem was uh, we hired this guy to come in and paint like a high up wall and when he left, uh, the floor was also covered in paint, and I was like, well, you know, like, I, I, I probably could have done that, you know, and you look, and I looked, and the guy had all these, uh, all these five-star ratings, and I was, like, trying to remember, you know, Kristen was like, hey, did you, like, did, you know, why, why did you book this guy, you know, and she was being very godly and trying to, like, express her irritation that we had paid money for a problem, and, and so I went and looked, and I looked, and. All down the thing, the guy had all these five-star ratings. Fantastic painter, uh, painted a three-story inside room, and it was perfect, and this and that. And I'm trying to, like... It was so frustrating to find out that I had trusted in something and someone who had a reputation of being able to handle the job only to find out that he couldn't handle the job. It's one thing. You know, like, if you hire if you hire someone for a job that they're not able to do, you know, like, if it's like, you know, if you it's like, you know, like sometimes people want to tell the pastor their sob story about their bad relationship. And it's, where did you meet him? Well, it was 3 in the morning, and we were at this casino, and our eyes locked. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, kind of, what did you think was going to happen, you know, if it started that way? And, sorry, that, did that feel real? Okay. It, <laughs> but when you hire someone for the task, or you pick someone for the task, or you trust in someone for the thing, and you had every reason to think that it was able to be done properly, but it was not, it rises up this, that's unfair, this is wrong. This is... And what I've been talking about the last few weeks is something that you got to get from the top of your head to the bottom of your heart into your mind, emotions, and will, and it is that Jesus Christ is able to do the task. He is capable of doing the task. He will do the task. He is worthy of the trust that you put in him. So much of what we do when we come to church is to say to each other, no, no, you can trust Jesus. No, no, you can trust Jesus. He can, he can forgive your sins. He can heal your past. He can give you a fresh new start. He can make what's broken beautiful again. And then when people start to trust in it, it is of the most importance that they find out that he is worthy, able to do the task. And I came today to say that Jesus Christ can save you from where you've been. He can save you right where you are. And he is going to keep on saving you all the way till we're in glory and we meet him face to face. So, I came today to say it's from the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. Would you turn there with me now? We've been looking at these pictures of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And uh, today we're in chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 10. And I want to just read eight verses to you. Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 10. It says this It says, And by that will uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made to be a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after a saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. This passage talks uh, in detail about something that is a little complicated that all of us need to understand if we want to understand what Jesus Christ has done, is doing, and will do. And it's that we get this idea, I think, most of us, that we need to be saved from our sins. But that has a component of it in the past, and there's a component of it in the present, and there's also a component of it in the future. Uh, I'll get to it in a second. I want to show it to you. Jesus paid, you see it there in verse 10 that we started with, it says, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus. It says, once for all. Once for all. So not only did Jesus pay all of your sins, it is also true that his sacrifice for your sins, that one time on the cross, is good now and forever forward. Once for all. Jesus paid it all, and I came to say to you from God's word that he is worthy for the struggles of the present. And that's what it means when we use this word sanctified. See it there in the verse I just read to you, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Uh, There's one thing I want to teach you today, and I think it's going to really help you as you read your Bible if you understand it, and it is this. When you talk about God saving you, or salvation, there's four different words that are often used in the New Testament to describe what's happening, and they each have a slightly different meaning inside of a bigger definition. I want to put that up on the screen for you. These are salvation terms. You can put the whole thing up there. These are salvation terms. First, sometimes you'll see in your Bible, you'll see the idea of election. You'll see that in your Bible, election, like you've been elected, you've been chosen. And that's the idea... That before you were ever born, God had already chosen you to be one of those who would be saved. This is why Christians should not walk around with this this attitude like we're better than those in the world. Because it was not done by us. Like we weren't so good that God was like, oh yeah, he's fantastic, let's choose him. God chose us, he elected us, not having anything to do with us at all. That's in the past. Uh, Justification is... What happens right there at the moment of conversion or on the cross, Jesus or God cleansed me from my sin. That word that was in our uh, verse there a moment ago is sanctification. That's what's happening right now. After you are saved, anyone have that experience of coming to faith and thinking, oh, man, I found Jesus. Now all my problems are solved. And then you got hit. Anyone have this experience, got hit, realized, like, oh, man, there's still a lot more work to go. Just encourage somebody around the room with a hand. Whoever had that experience, like, That's the process of sanctification, which is God, after choosing you and cleansing you, growing you to be more like him. And then the last part of the salvation story in the Bible is glorification. We're going to see that in this text too. And that's the promise that all the way at the end, God will complete me. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. If God put his hand on you, there is nothing that's going to get his hand off of you. Uh, I see in church today my friends Doug and Lisa, Lisa was on the worship team standing over here. This week they welcomed the birth of their first grandchild, long awaited. Yes, okay? And I can't and their and their kids aren't here with the baby. Like I'm like, it's been three days. Get to church, right? What's the deal? <laughs> nope, nope. But I was thinking, when I was thinking about this idea of glorification, this brand new grandchild, what would they have to do to get their grandparents to take their hands off of loving, paying attention, caring of them? Nothing 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 it wouldn't matter it wouldn't matter it wouldn't matter if the kid became a Bears fan against their Packer fandom they would still love that kid no matter what because the love of a parent the love of a grandparent has a purity to it no matter how much those kids aggravate you and oh, can I get a witness they do aggravate you man but it will never go away and you need to know today that if you are saved if you're in Jesus Christ today God is gonna keep on working on you No matter how far you try to run away from him, he's going to grab back onto you and pull you back. So all of those words are what should be in our mind. And if you understand that, it makes it easier to understand what he's saying when he says, now by what's happened through Jesus, we've been sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ once and for all. The text continues. Now we're going, he's talking about what happened before. So day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. And this is verse 11. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. We've talked about this before. In the Old Testament system, there were were sacrifices that happened almost every day. Different animals that were killed for different issues or problems. And when he says there that the sacrifices being offered over and over can't take away sins, he doesn't mean God didn't credit them for the purpose for which they were given. He did. What he means is, in that old system, it was sin, confess, offer the sacrifice, you're forgiven, back to sinning again. If you've ever been stuck in a cycle of addiction or a bad pattern of behavior, you know that you can feel so guilty and ashamed and still be just a few minutes or moments from being right back where you started. Can I get a witness? And so he's saying that system could never take away sins. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, verse 12, had offered for all time one sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. He's trying to draw a comparison. So over here you see, for generations, and for centuries, the priests offered those sacrifices. Another dove, another lamb, another goat, another year, another generation. Sin, sin, and the people kept on sinning and kept on sinning, and it got worse and worse. But over here, just one time, just one time, the perfect spotless lamb went to the cross, just one time, and now all sin, past, present, future, has been paid for. And he is in the process of making us more like him. What I'm trying to say from this scripture is that we've been made holy objectively by the cross of Christ, and we are in the process of being made holy through ongoing sanctification by the Holy Spirit throughout our lifetime. And you'll find groups of people of faith who talk about one of these ideas or promises or truths, often at the expense of the other. There is both the moment that you come to Christ. In salvation, there's people in the room who I've been with them praying the moment they accepted Christ. And in that moment, everything changes for them in terms of their eternal destiny. It is also true that we're in this process of day by day, week by week, decade of, over decade, becoming more like the God who loves us through the Holy Spirit. So what are these sacrifices? Well, this text is pointing objectively to one, it's from the book of Leviticus, where every year there was one particular sacrifice you can put that on the screen and once a year there was a sacrifice that was supposed to be the big one on the day of atonement that was for all the sins that had been committed that year this was had been happening for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and he's saying that was great because it helped during that time but we're not in that time anymore. That's why he said in verse 10 that Jesus Christ offered his body once for all. That word there is once for all is supposed to focus us on the idea of the permanence, that if you are in Christ, nothing can take you away from him. I want to just talk for a second about that last little verse there. I really liked it, verse 13. Look at it if you have your Bible open, which I hope you do. It says, and since that time... He waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. So this was written somewhere roughly 1,900-something years ago when Jesus was already in heaven and he was awaiting the time when he was going to return to earth and make his enemies his footstool. And we are still in that time. This is the second thing if you're writing things down. Jesus paid it all. He's also worthy for the promise of the future, which is that we will be glorified. Because Jesus is waiting, we are also waiting. And what we're waiting for is he is going to make his enemies to be his footstool. He's going to make his enemies to be his footstool. He's going to make his enemies to be his footstool. Come on, Lance, you're in. Come on. All right. Now, I know you're worried, but I've already thought this through. All right, Lance, you're going to sit right here. Lance, great news for you today, my friend. You're Jesus today. Way to go. Good job. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yep, come on. Sit back a little Now. Every word in the Bible is chosen on purpose, and it's chosen for a reason. So get this picture in your head. It says that Jesus, since that time, he's waiting. And what is he waiting for? He's waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Now, i got some football games that I'm coaching today, and I'm I'm hoping that we're going to win. And I'm hoping that we're going to win in a way that makes the other team think, don't drive back to Palatine again without thinking through what's going to happen when you get over there. And I've, you know, I like, I like to win. I like to, I like to win. And uh, a lot of people in this room like to win. When you, you win, sometimes, you know, the other person, if they feel bad. They kind of walk. Uh, the other night, uh, Carter and I went to a high school football game. And as we were driving home, we were driving home next to the bus uh, of the team that had just lost. We could kind of look up into the bus, and you could see them all kind of like sitting. There's that humiliation or that frustration when you lose, right? And we tend in our kind of world or day to think that that's bad because we want everyone to feel good. And we say, no, no, don't feel bad. You tried your best. No, no. Good, fine, enough. But Jesus Christ promises that what's going to happen when he comes for his enemies, come on, when he comes for his enemies, he's going to make his enemies. Come on, Lance, put your feet up. He's going to make his enemies. Do you see it? I might just explain to you the Bible accurately. And yes, I did think this through. I didn't think it would play as well if I was the one putting my feet on somebody else. Yes, I did think that through. Think about the humiliation for a person to be not, I'm volunteering, do you see it? For his enemies, do you see it? His enemies to be made his footstool, to have no other option but to endure the humiliation of being nothing more than a piece of furniture to put the feet of the Savior on because they are his enemies. Do you see it? So there's a couple things there. One, Jesus is coming back. He's waiting for it. You're good. Okay, enough already. All right, come on. That's right. Sorry, I didn't give you enough of a cool part, Lance. Sorry about that. Jesus is waiting. Jesus isn't, like, much for waiting, you know? If he's hungry, lunch. He's waiting for his plan to be perfected. And while he's waiting for his plan to be perfected, We're promised that what's going to happen when he is finally glorified fully and we are glorified alongside him, the scripture says that we are co-heirs. We are sharing in his inheritance. That his enemies will be made like a footstool. All the people who walk through this world saying, no, God's laws are bad, no, God's rules are bigoted, no, God's this or that is foolish, all and at once with no opportunity to turn back God is going to make things right. He's going to set things proper. Uh, the Scripture talks a lot about this word glorified. It talks a lot about your glorified body, which uh, I'm into my mid-30s, so I can't even imagine how some of y'all are feeling about what it would be like to get to your glorified body because the Scripture says that the outward man is wasting away, that the inner man is being renewed day by day. But when we meet him face to face, our body outside perfected, our body inside perfected, I was just with a friend the other day talking about you get older as you go through life and you have a few relationships go wrong, you have a few people treat you poorly, and it becomes really hard to believe and trust again. It becomes really hard to go out again and say, I'm gonna make a new friend, I'm gonna find a new church, I'm gonna try. And all of that inner turmoil mentally, emotionally, when are finally glorified, it goes away. But we're in the part of waiting. But the waiting can be profitable to you if. You are putting your hope in trust, like we talked about earlier, not in what I can see right now. Just get it. I mean, some of us in the room are, are real gym people, and that's great, and I really applaud it. Awesome. Great job. A great job. But you can't ever make your body what you want it to be here on this earth. You can never ever make, uh-huh, amen, right there. Exactly right. She's got it. Amen. And you can't ever make it. But you know what you can do? You can trust that eventually God is going to make it all right again. And since that time, he is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. He is worthy, Jesus is, of the promise of the future. Because he's going to be glorified. And our bodies and we are going to be glorified. Look at verse continues, follow along with me. It says, for by one sacrifice, that's the theme all the way through, verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever forever. Those who are being made holy. Do you see it? That's what I was talking about a second. So two things are happening at once. It is true that through Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you have, made, you have been made perfect forever in his eyes. You've been made perfect forever in the sense that your sin cannot sentence you to eternal damnation anymore. But it is also true that you are being made holy. You are in the process of becoming more like him. You can't get those wires crossed or those things confused. What this means is that when you slip and fall, when you make foolish choices and mistakes, it doesn't change your position in Jesus Christ. But we don't just lie down there and say, oh, you know, this is who I am. I'm an Enneagram 8. Sometimes I'm a little too aggressive. Oh, deal with it. No, we don't do that. We say, God wants me to be holy, so I'm going to keep working on it. I'm going to keep surrendering to the Holy Spirit. It's happening both at the same time. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. He says, verse 15, now 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. The Holy Spirit is promising here that over time our desires can become like God's desires. That you first start out, and when you're first growing in faith, often you want to do the opposite of what you should do. But over time, you become more and more. Do you see it? He says, I will put my laws in their hearts, I will write them on their minds. So eventually, through the process of becoming more like Jesus, I want to do the things that he wants me to do. Oh, there's this like big festival down the street in Palatine uh, Street Fest. It's kind of like a, I don't know, like a fraternity party for people in their 50s. It's kind (laughs) of what it's like. And uh, we were over there last night walking around and it was getting to be like maybe, you know, eight, nine o'clock, 8.30, something like that. And like not one part of my mid-30s there with my kid's body was thinking to myself, I'd like to stay out here. With all those people drinking beer till two. Not one part of me was like, I'd like to stay out later. Uh, do you ever get, you remember when you got to this point in your life where like, it's weird, when you were a kid getting grounded was a punishment, and now like it sort of feels like, like I, I get to stay home. It feels like a blessing almost. Like, over time, it shifts. Uh, over time, you become a person, you become able and like, and this is what Jesus can do for you. You become like a person who wants to do the things that God wants you to do, not one who has to force myself into it. It's like we've had this conversation so many times since Kristen and I have been married. Is this like, it's not just that I want you to help. You You know this one, fellas? Have you ever been through this one? You can put it on the screen. It's I want you to want to help. Anyone ever been through this one before? I I don't. It's not that I want you to help. That's just kind of like base level. That's like table stakes. That's the base level. Is like if I ask you to vacuum the house, take out the garbage. I want. It's not. No, no. But what? It's not that I want you to help. Can I get a witness anywhere in the house? It's that I want you to want to help. Why? Why does the wife want the husband to want to help? Because in healthy relationships, we don't just want conformity. We want willing participation and so what god is promising here in his word is he says i'm going to write your laws in your heart i'm going to write my laws in your heart i'm going to write them on your mind i'm going to conform you so you say you know it used to be that i'd want to click and click and click to look at all that but now i'm like that That disgusts me. I don't want to see that anymore because my mind has been changed. It's different than it used to be. It used to be that if I saw that person and I saw the house they were living in and the car they were driving, I would just go on that spiral of why do they have that and I don't have this. And I would just kind of go and I would like hate, you know, like hate look at all their social media things. And like I'd go on there and say, You're so cute. But in my mind, I'd really mean she looks terrible. How does she think she could pull off that clothing? And like that whole thing, that covetous weird thing I would do. But now you know what? I'm not, I just, my mind has changed. I know better, so I'm not going to go over there. Uh, This is true with reading the Bible, but I found that it's true for a lot of things. This is often, uh, this is sources in my dad actually, and this is a, uh, this is what it's like, these three words, is what it's like to grow in your desire to obey, your desire to be in the God's word. It starts at discipline, which is I have to make myself. That's everybody in January at the gym is trying to do the discipline, I have to make myself. But over time, if you stay with discipline, eventually it becomes desire like I want to, And then eventually, and this is the beautiful place, and I know people like this, my beloved wife in the front row is one of them, that she can't wait to get to her Bible in the morning. We don't get there on day one, or day 10, or day 100. And the reason why so many people get stuck is because they just kind of give up while discipline is going, and they can't, and i just finally just like, forget it, and they never make it to the process of desiring and then delighting in the things of God. I think that's useful. So back to these salvation words again for just a second. We've got just two more verses. Jesus, you know what he did? He paid it all. And we've talked about the past. We've talked about the future. And I want to talk about, because this is the last part, what happens at the moment of conversion. Jesus is also, he paid it all, and he is worthy of the sins, uh, for the sins of the past, he's justified us. He's justified us. This is the moment where we are saved. It says in verse 17, look with me, It says that their their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. If you want just an easy way, justification, or this word justified is like God is willing to treat you Just as if, do you see it, justified? Just as if I'd never sinned in the first place. What makes uh, our human relationships so fragile is even when forgiveness is exchanged or things are sorted out, there's still that residue or that remnant that even though, like, I told myself we're past it, I still tend to treat myself and the person like we're still going with it. And you get around people maybe you know, at Thanksgiving at the table or you, you see somebody at the mall. I saw somebody uh, yesterday at the donut shop uh, that I hadn't seen in a long time. And I had that moment like, oh, I wonder how they're going like, to talk to me. I wonder what it's going to be like. And the beauty of what God does for us is because of his perfect holiness, he still knows the information about the choices that you've made. It's just that he treats you like it never happened in the first place. God cannot think. Just think for a second about it. Can God actually, when it says there that I won't remember or I'm going to forget, can God actually forget? I can't. Like, you know, he God knows everything that's ever happened in this world at any time. So it's not that he just doesn't have it in his mind anymore. It's that he is able in his perfection to treat you like it never happened. Just let that roll over your mind and your heart for just a moment. He is able and willing to treat you as if it never happened. Then he says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So he, on the one hand, is talking about the old system of animals and their blood, sure. But I think it's fair to say that he's also talking about the ability of human beings to kind of self-flagellate and punish, thinking that that somehow makes it better or right. You know, uh, when you meet people and uh, you know they're like in a tough spot because they start into their story about like how it got like this before, like, you know, hey, how are you? I'm Luke. And then they're like, hey, yeah. So this is happening with this football team that I'm coaching right now. So it's kind of only just me uh, because their dad left. And and it was, you know, and it was just, so because of that, like, I got to kind of really, like, struggle around to get everybody over there. And it was, we were married for a while, and it was just then, you know, after the kids and just some stuff happened, and they just, like, launch into this whole story. Because people bring all this guilt and all this shame and all this feeling about what's happening in their life right now. And they feel it so deeply and so intensely that they can't, often can't help but just kind of, like, pour it right on top of you. Because they're trying to figure out a way to not feel that sweaty, guilty thing. I can see it on people's faces when they're in church. There's some of you that if I offered you $10,000, you wouldn't come more than two rows from the back. It's a little safer back here. I know, in the band, of course. Why? Because it's a little safer. It's a little safer. Because we internalize the failed relationship, the terrible divorce, the the job that didn't work out, the the kid that's growing up and really struggling, that we internalize the failure and somehow act, and Christians have been doing this for generations, and somehow act that if I punish myself, then God will know that I'm sorry and then I'll be blessed. And my Bible says, and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So you go along if you want. You go along if you want, like, beating yourself up about it. You go along if you want, beating yourself up about it, walking around. But if Jesus has forgiven it, you can't do anything to yourself that is going to improve your standing in the sight of a holy God. He already did it already for you. He has already dealt with it on your behalf. Now, you have to come to him and ask for forgiveness. But if you come to him in forgiveness... All of the desires that we have to self-justify. This is like the most Midwestern thing, you know, right? Hey, I like your sunglasses. Oh, well, I got them on a deal, you know. And I was just, it's a company car. It's just that thing that we do of trying to change the way that people see us. Someone who truly understands what God has done is able to stand in the place of not just their successes, but their failures, not just their victories, but also their sins, and say, he forgave me. I'm not that person anymore. I don't owe that debt anymore. Not because I could pay it, because I couldn't pay it. Because of where there's forgiveness for these sins, sacrifice is no longer necessary. You have been justified in Christ. He looks at you and sees you just as if you had never made that choice, never gone through that habit, never gone through that addiction in the first place. And so, dear friends, Jesus, he's worthy for the journey. Do you see it? I hope I've done it. I've done it to my best of ability. Put those terms back up on the screen. What is true about the Jesus that we were worshiping today? And then we're going to sing just a moment. The guys can come to the stage now. This wasn't in this text as much, but it's true. It's all over your Bible that God chose you. Do you see the significance of that? You didn't slip in unnoticed. God chose you. If you had the wisdom to see your need for forgiveness, he chose you. And there, we just talked about that a moment ago, he cleansed you. Sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. He also is still in the process of growing you, and he will complete you. So, when we look at all that right there, that's got existential questions, and questions about the past, and questions about the present, and questions about the future all answered. And we just gotta keep ourselves right there thinking and praising. So you might say to yourself, now I like the part at the end of the sermon where you tell me, like, so okay, but like, what should I do with this? What you should do with this is praise a God who allowed this to be true for you and walk around with a little different posture and attitude that if he has saved you, you don't need to pay for it anymore. If he saved you, you don't need to pay for it anymore. And so let me just, uh, why don't you stand to your feet, and I'm going to pray. When I say amen, we're going to sing, and I hope we can really praise the Lord today. God, I want to say today that I am thankful, me, Luke. I am thankful that you saved me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it, but you gave it to me anyway, God. And I want to praise you now that you didn't leave me where I was. I'm sure there's people around the room that would say the same thing. But I'm not just thankful that you saved me, God. I'm thankful that you're growing me in the here and now that you love me so much that you're not going to let me keep being who I've been. You're going to make me keep on growing into who you want me to be. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you're still going and you're going to keep on going until the day that I meet you face to face because you are not finished, God, until the story's over. So I got stuck at times, we've been stagnant, and sometimes it's hard to trust you or make it forward, God. You are working right now, this minute. You are alive, and you are in this room, and you want to love, and you want all of us to experience your forgiveness and love, God, and you want us to build our lives on your foundation. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, and so we praise you now all over this room. We praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, if you agree, please say amen. This has been the Good News Neighborhood podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.